everyone. Welcome to the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast, where mistakes are welcome, nothing is off limits, and growth is inevitable. I am Sharissa Wood. I'm Brittany Simon. And we are putting our brains together to bring you the tools you need to elevate your hygiene practice, build amazing team culture, and provide patients with the very best care. Our mission is to help empower and equip every hygienist to practice purposeful, profitable hygiene. We look to guide you on your journey towards career fulfillment by providing support, collaboration, and community to our profession. As two of the top producing hygienists in the country, we know firsthand that these things lead to sustainable and fulfilling practice and the happy side effect of high profitability. So let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Bulletproof Hygiene. Um, Brittany and I are super excited to be with you today, and I want to say a sentence and just see how it resonates with you. Effective leadership is imperative to a purposeful, profitable, fulfilling hygiene career. I'm going to say it one more time. Effective leadership is imperative to a purposeful, profitable, fulfilling hygiene career. So I think honestly that we would all agree with that statement, but part of me wonders how many, how many of us immediately kind of assign the concept of that leadership to either our doctors or our office managers. And we think, yeah, I mean, we want to have a great career. We want to, you know, make money and be, you know, have, have our fulfillment and our purpose, but we've got to have great leadership for that. And we kind of put that on someone else. And so if you haven't uh, learned us by now, Brittany and I are kind of the take the reins, make your own destiny kind of girls. So you got to know we're going to flip the script on this one. Um, And we really want to talk about our own leadership potential as hygienists within the practice and to our teams and to the medical community in general. And I got to be honest and say that I've kind of been burdened by some recent posts on forums um, about poor leadership from the top down. And hygiene is feeling stuck and burned out and, and ready to leave the career. And, you know, I want to acknowledge that, yes, there is definitely some practice toxicity out there. Um, you know, that concept of don't stay in, a relu- uh, in an abusive relationship rings true here. Um, but I'm really more concerned that we as hygienists are kind of getting stuck in our own heads and our own mindset of, well, there's really nothing I can do about it. And so I think that today we want to kind of challenge ourselves that to get out of that fixed mindset of, well, woe is me. I can't do anything about it. This is just how it is. And I want to talk about the role that we have to play as leaders in our practice. And it's, it's really a, a double kind of a triple role between, you know, being the leader guide to our patients, um, being a leader and support to our team, and then to the medical community as a whole. And I love the saying, be a thermostat and not a thermometer. I heard that years ago and it really resonated with me. Like the thermostat's what sets the temperature of the room and the thermometer is just what tells you what the temperature is. So you want to be a thermostat where you're dictating that kind of what tone are you setting? What attitude are you bringing? Um, What's your mindset while you're there? And not just reflective of what's happening in the team culture, because sometimes that's not the healthiest thing. Um, And I know we as hygienists are the second most educated team member in the practice and the only other producer. So it's super, super important that we step into that leadership role. And I know Brittany is a thousand percent on board with me because both of us have had experiences where we have done it, where we haven't done it, and it's really impacted our career. Um, So I'm going to let her kind of weigh in as well, because I think this is just one of the most important things we get to do as hygienists. 
Yeah, and thanks for that awesome, uh, awesome intro. Yeah, so the we're the second most educated team member in the practice and the only other producer, um, as you just said. So I think that, you know, that's that's something to look at and something to consider, but it's it's really, um, it's important and it's, it, it, it is important, but it's kind of like not in, in other ways. So I think that, you know, being a great leader involves being able to have influence on others in a, in like an inspirational and kind of like leading uh, anyone or leading a horse to water, kind of like no matter, no matter what leading, lead a horse to water, you can't make them drink kind of thing. And that goes for like people too, you know, we all have influence. We're all leading others in our own way every single day, whether we realize it or not, or whether it's intentional or not. Um, but, you know, being the quote unquote, second most educated team member just means, you know, we may have gone to school uh, we have a license. We, we definitely went, went to school, but we may have gone to school for um, two to four years at least, or maybe even more. Um, but that's not to say that some of our admin team hasn't either, you know, or some of our supporting team hasn't either, or didn't have, you know, this isn't their secondary career or whatever. So I think that's an important thing to consider. You know, education is a really, really important and necessary thing whenever you're in a medical field, clearly, or in any field. <clears throat> but it's not the only thing, right? So I learn every single day from people on my admin team who a lot of them have bachelor's degrees, you know, um, a lot of them don't, a lot of them have no experience in dentistry. Some of them do, you know, it's just, I think everyone's unique background makes it even more interesting and even more dynamic when we're open, when we remain open to learning from everyone on the team, you know, despite their educational, their, their educational background or their history. Um, because I really do, and I have, and I continue to learn from people who have no experience in dentistry because they may have a different perspective than I do, you know, coming into dentistry from a different field. Maybe they came from restaurant, maybe they came from uh, marketing, maybe they came from, you know, just different things and they have a different way of looking at things. Maybe they're more or less analytical. Maybe they're more or less B-type. All, all those approaches, you know, are important. And um, so I think it's important to say like, yeah, we're, we're highly educated, but probably so are the supporting, you know, the other supporting team members as well. And of course, our dentists are dentists. They have doctor behind their name. So that goes without saying. Um, but I think I think that education is just one piece of the puzzle. And in regards to leadership, this is something that I'm super, super passionate about because I've seen it done really, really well and effectively and really, really terribly and ineffectively. So I kind of want to touch on like what it looks like. Like, what does effective leadership look like? What does ineffective leadership look like? What are the qualities that make this work or not work? When are those, quote unquote, following the leaders most successful and empowered? You know, so do you, do you want me to jump into that right now? Yeah, yeah. And I while you're right before you do that, I just want to touch on what you're saying. Like, I think I totally, of course, agree with what you're saying about, you know, different levels of education that that doesn't, that's not a huge factor for me because I think all of us, have value in the practice. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's like a team on a, on a soccer field, you know, every position has a ton of value and you can't do it without one another. Um, You know, if you pass the ball and your teammates not in the position they need to be in, that that's not, that's going to be a fail. And so I think education is a um, obviously one thing, but I think just personality wise and, and experience wise and background wise. And I just think there's so much value in every single team member across the board. 
Um, and that was, you know, one, one thing I think is to have a strong organization. I think you have to have strong leader, leadership and in every department and in every level. Right. Um, so I think, yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. Yeah. So let's, um, so let's kind of, I, I want to give kind of some examples of when I've seen leadership, quote unquote, leadership go badly. So a lot of times I think leadership is ineffective when the person in leadership is really just managing people, like managing, like acting as a manager and not as um, like a liaison, not as an educator, not realizing that they're talking to a human. So it, it goes back to this thing that I've seen like over and over in just different work environments, different work atmospheres, um, not just, you know, in dentistry, not just in what we do, but there's we're all leading all day long in our own homes, right? Like we pay our bills, we uh, are raising our children, we have relationships with our spouses and significant others, and um, we're taking care of issues as they arise. You know, we're extremely effective in leading our own lives. And then we go to work and it's like this, this like swap in dynamic where like there's all this highly structured, uh, there's this highly structured um, like, trickle down of like, who's at the top and who's the next person under that person and who's the next. And I think that that's important. And it's great to have a point person to say like, oh, who can I go to, to solve right. this problem or to help me with this issue or who uh, has this particular responsibility within an organization. Like, I think that having that structure in organization is important, but I think that a lot of times from the top down, it might be viewed ineffectively. Like I am, I am over these people. Like I am, there's, there's like a control or micromanagement aspect. And that's where it really goes wrong in my opinion. Um, so, you know, we're doing all this stuff at home. We're effective leaders at home. We're running our own show. And then we go to work and this is like an oversimplification. And I know that most of us don't deal with this issue, thankfully, but it almost feels like sometimes I have to raise my hand to go to the bathroom. Or like, I have to like ask to go get a sip of water, you know, not in my work environment, I'm right, talking about right, past work environments. Right, and, right. and I know you don't feel this way either, but just work in general, there's like this like switch, like we walk into the, the workplace and now we're like idiots or we can't think for ourselves or this person's my boss. So I'm going to just turn my brain off and let them run the show. And I'm just going to go through making the donuts and go through the, uh, the physical like aspects of my job without it ever turning my brain on kind of thing. And I think that we've been trained from both sides, you know, like I think a lot of people in quote unquote management have this idea of like, yeah, I have to tell you how to do your job. And like, I don't think it's conscious. I think it's subconscious. Like I, I have to basically do it for you. And micromanagement, you know, is just one of those things that's so detrimental yes. to, to people really advancing and not just advancing themselves, but advancing our profession, advancing their own workplace, advancing your workplace, essentially. Like I can think of times when I've been micromanaged and what initially occurs to me when someone is essentially coming in, holding my hand and doing my job for me is I'll go do something else. Right. Like, why are we both going to do the same job? Like you're going to do my job. I'll, I'll go do something else. Like, right. great. You do it. You know, I'm not, I'm not doing it too. And it's so, really sad because we are such unique individuals that possess some really amazing qualities. And if you just feel like a lemming coming in and kind of, you're just, you know, like stuck in this rut, you don't really get to shine who you are. Um, and, and I think especially for us in the medical field where we're dealing with so many patients with different personalities and different issues. I mean, we know that they connect with a hygienist typically more than anyone else because they're spending the most time with us. And, and if we're not allowed to kind of be who we are and, and shine in that and really connect on that front, then the practice is not gonna thrive. Right. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, but yeah, anytime, anytime there has been micromanagement, it just, it inspires people 
to turn their brains off. Mm -hmm. Like someone else jumps in and is doing, you know, everything that I'm, I'm supposed to do, or I, you know, I'm able to do, and I want to do, like I said, I'm not going to do it. And neither is anyone else, you know, like, why would they waste their time? Why are you wasting your time? I'm going to go find something else to do kind of thing here. You can do my job. I'll go, I'll go do something else, you know? Um, but it, it, it enables brain turning off, you know, so people start turning off their brains and they come to work and they're bored because they don't have to think because they're being micromanaged or someone else is holding their hand the entire time. So that is disruptive and gets in the way of having a healthy organization because then you've got this one person in authority and it's parental. It becomes parental. Like this person is above me and, you know, thinking for me and, and being my, uh, I don't know. I don't know what the right word is besides parent, you know? Right. Um, but it's, it's not great. Your organization will suffer that way because you have these two people who, if, you know, hopefully if you hired someone, they're a person with certain skills and attributes that are desirable and could be good for your organization. If you would enable them to use their unique attributes, you know, and when that's happening, they're not being empowered to use their unique attributes. So essentially they're functioning as one person instead of two very able and equipped people and licensed and educated people, right. you know? Um, so, so that's when I've seen that go wrong. Um, and times when I've seen leadership go right is when someone has, like, I gave the instance of Dr. Craig and giving me, you know, some autonomy, like, Hey, I'll trust you with a small thing. Go ahead and take that. You do what you're going to do with it. Let's look at the outcome together and see how it went. And then he'd give me some coaching and some feedback and, and say, this is what went well. This is what, this isn't very desirable. Um, and it's okay for him to like, check back. That's accountability. Like, Hey, how's it going? Um, if we set it by when him to say like, Hey, you know, the date's coming up, what's it look like for you? Are you going to make it by the deadline kind of thing, but not like have his hands in the entire time on the right. entire project, like steering the wheel. Like that's, that's my job, you know? And I think a, a difficult thing in leadership is learning when to delegate and how to delegate and who to delegate to. And a lot of that involves asking like really high quality questions. So what I think of is like in quarterly reviews. I love doing quarterly reviews. Like it's one of my favorite things with the hygienist because um, we ask a lot of high quality questions and we have like this, this structured questionnaire. And at the end of the questionnaire, it's like, what are your hobbies and interests? What do you like to do when you're not doing dental hygiene? How do you learn best? Kinesthetically, auditorily, visually? Like, and all of those things help me to connect to them as people and to keep them um, intrigued and keep them in, as an active participant because I, I can appeal and I can give them, I can delegate to them things that actually interest them. And it's, it empowers them because right. I'm like, Hey, here's the thing. And if it's a new person, you know, I'm going to do what Dr. Craig did for me. Like, here's a small thing. Hey, you know, I see that you're interested in this particular thing and you learn visually, or you like design. Would you like to design this, this, uh, perio handout, you know, for our patients or something. And then they do it and they have their own success in doing it. Right. And it good. Then they feel empowered and they get positive feedback from me, like, Hey, that's really great. Like, awesome. You took the reins on that. You did it. They feel empowered to do more of that. And they liked it. Right. They liked it. It's, it keeps people alive. Yep. Yeah. And I think it, it, it creates growth and that's what life is all about. You know, if you're just stagnantly doing the same thing over and over and over, once you get the taste for, Hey, I can do that. And that was exciting. Then you, I feel like there's a huge gap in, we don't realize how much when you appreciate someone when you kind of applaud what they're doing and empower them, how much, how much more they'll do of their own volition. So I think it's really, really important 
to yes, have encouraged the, the team members around you to kind of, we, we do a disc assessment at our office that helps us really understand each person's kind of strengths and weaknesses and, and personalities. Um, because it's, like I said, it, it's a team and you've got all these different amazing abilities um, and the disc just helps us identify those so that when we do have tasks that need to be done, or we do have something new, or a new direction we're trying to take, we kind of know who to reach out for that. Who's going to be great at this? Who can help with this? And it does, it just gives you that excitement because you're doing something new and different. Right. And dentistry can get really monotonous because, you know, you're seeing patient after patient after patient. So finding some, some new and different and spreading that around is a really great way to add excitement and, and ownership. Right. And, and if it's done right, you know, I've seen like the transition from um, ineffective leadership, like that micromanaging style to right. leadership that like free, autonomous, uh, enhancing, growing, exciting style. And a lot of times what I've noticed is people who are being led to be more uh, thinking, thinking creatively and innovatively and on their own. Um, a lot of times it, at first it's uncomfortable because it it's like they've been having to go to work this entire time and they've been having to use their brains and they've been having to do certain things and it gets to be like they get to but that involves work for them too you know so it's like critical thinking is now a part of their job and for people who are like wanting a fulfilling and passionate career and don't just want to show up and do profis nine to five that's where they're going to thrive and shine but a lot of times that transition from their quote unquote job to their career and their passion and mm -hmm. the switch being turned on to like, Hey, you have all this information. You have all this education. Like I want you to use it. Right. It's, it's like, it's a little scary. Sometimes yes. like even good people, even like good employees, if they've been in this environment where they're just like being crushed and like dying slowly and suffering because they're not allowed to flex their own leadership style. And then they go to this thing. It can be a little bit like I, I've had some, uh, like pushback and some, um, I can tell people are uncomfortable and they're like, what the heck is happening? Like, what do you mean? I have to solve my own problem. Like, it, but then they do it and they're like, oh, like, and then they get to come to work and they get to do all this stuff. Right. So, right. so I think that's pretty, pretty human to experience that too. If you're, if you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. There's a lot of micromanagement in my job atmosphere. And then you're trying to change that dynamic and change that culture. At first ex expect some tension. I feel like, you know, it's yes. just, it's just it wanted to change. Yeah. And I, I can speak to that personally because, you know, you talked about when somebody gets ignited and then they, you know, like, Oh, I can do this. I, I want to do this, I should say. And then they start kind of looking at it and it's like, Oh, this is, this is going to be kind of hard and kind of uncomfortable for a little while. And I experienced that, um, you know, when I came into Atlanta dental spa and learned about the oral systemic connection and then really started learning and then really started geeking out on it. And I went to Dr. Bolden and was like, Hey, can I have a microscope? And he's like, what do you want that for? Yeah. Right. Um, and I, and I do love him because he is so business-minded and it makes total sense to me. He's like, yeah, I'll make that investment. If you can tell me what you're going to use it for, how it's going to benefit the practice. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes people will bump up against that and think, oh, oh, he didn't, he didn't want to do that. So never mind, I'm good. Yeah. You know, so I, I had to kind of create a, a presentation for what I was going to do with it and how I was going to use that. And then to bring it in, I, I had to research, you know, finding the right ones and all the pieces I would need for that. And then learning how to use it and educate myself on what I was seeing. So that was a whole process that, you know, on the front side was pretty daunting and pretty uncomfortable. Um, and hard at the beginning. And I, and I didn't know exactly what I was doing. And it was, so it was uncomfortable for a while, but now it's this really cool opportunity to get to, to see what's going on in a patient's mouth and share that with them. And, 
um, make sure that, you know, the therapy we're doing is effective. And so it, that's a perfect example of it feeling hard and uncomfortable, but getting through that and then being like, oh my gosh, I did that. This is so cool. Yeah. What and else can I do? Kind of it, thing. Exactly. Exactly. And I can imagine how empowered you felt after yes. you did all that work. It was a, it was finally a yes. And then you onboarded it and now you're successfully using it and you did all that, you know? Right. But I do want to speak to like on both ends, on your end and on Dr. Bolden's end. Honestly, I think both of those things are an example of great leadership because as a business owner, you know, he has a responsibility to yes. the practice and he knows what's going on in regards to the numbers, like more so than anyone does. Like I know how, uh, like, uh, he's very engineering minded and loves the numbers and loves the stats and loves organization and, uh, systems and that sort of thing. So like, I can imagine how much he knows and how intricately he knows the numbers and how to protect the practice as a whole, you know, from, um, from, uh, from financial and economic hardship, you know, so I'm sure that that was his come from initially. So that's great leadership on his end, like saying, yeah, like, I don't want to just say yes. I know Sharice is a badass, And like, I know that she has great ideas, but like, I'm not just going to say yes, I'm going to challenge you. And I think that's what the best leaders do. Like, I'm going to challenge you like, Hey, what are you going to do? Come up with a plan, prove it. So he kind of like stimulated and gave you the opportunity to do that and flex your leadership muscle when he did that. And then you flex your leadership muscle by going and doing it and not just looking at like, what felt like pushback or a barrier, because really like if, if, when it comes down to it, we all need to protect ourselves and protect our houses and protect our whatever, you know, and that comes with appropriate questioning and uh, appropriate accountability of others. Right. So that's what he did for you. And then you said, well, I'm not going to take that uh, and be put off by that little bit of resistance that I just, because it's reasonable resistance. He wasn't like, no, you're stupid. Go away. That's a bad idea. He was like, you know, like I'm willing to consider that if you do X, Y, and Z, and then you did X, Y, and Z, and guess what? It happened. You know, like he kept his word. That's also great leadership, by the way. Um, but but after you went and did your own critical thinking and you investigated and you put the time in it and you weren't off put by like his his saying, like, you've got to prove this kind of thing. Right. You know? So I think that's important because that's that's a good point that you just made about, you know, people I think sometimes get a little bit of pushback either from our patients even, you know, if we think about it from a patient perspective, like what you say, loss in the measure of, of the patient's health, like, yeah, we've got to expect some pushback. Like that's a loss to them, you know? Yes. Like, so when we tell them they have perio disease, they weren't expecting it. This is something that's asymptomatic. They probably haven't even seen the pink in the sink yet. Like they might not be flossing to even know that, you know, right. and we're educated them before about the numbers. It's like, yes, you've got to expect some pushback. That's a normal human response, you know? Yeah. And, and so was it on Dr. For Dr. Bolden in that instance, but I'm really, glad when people overcome that and they're like, oh, this is, this is normal. Like I, they just asked me a question. They just have a concern. Let's get to the bottom of that. Let's keep asking why, what, how, instead of just like, oh God, there was some resistance. Let me just give up now and throw in the towel. Yeah. 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 So I know Brittany, you have done, um, kind of some extensive, uh, work on different types of leadership styles. Um, and that's super intriguing to you. So, um, educate me because I haven't done a whole lot of that. <laughs> so I, yeah, leadership is something that I'm super, uh, passionate about. And I love, you know, I think, like I mentioned before, just the micromanaging is the death of leadership and innovation and empowering others to be the, the best selves and just challenging others to be their best selves. Keeping them accountable is like the best way to lead. Hang on. I just got signed out here. Give me one second to get back. <clears throat> And so, so I, 
I know you've talked in the past, you shared with me a little bit of, about um, the GLOBE research, which is Global Leadership and Organizational Behavior Effectiveness, yep. um, the Robert House of the Wharton School of Business. Um, and they came up with several different types of leadership styles. Right, yeah. So the, um, the study by Robert House, he's from the Wharton School of Business, by the way, which is like the one of the most prestigious business schools like in the United States. So that's a pretty cool distinction. But um, 1991, Robert House um, looked into leader effectiveness in culture and it was called the GLOBE study where he determined, or he sought to determine how culture is related to societal organization and leader effectiveness. So this was um, something in the 1990s. You wanted to uncover how culture is related to the societal organization and leader effectiveness. And what he did was uh, researched and compiled a bunch of empirical information from 17,000 mid-level managers, almost a thousand organizations in 58 countries worldwide. Um, so it was domed, it, it was deemed GLOBE, and that's an acronym for Global Leadership and Organizational Behavioral Effectiveness. So he uh, kind of determined six different types of leadership or six leadership styles, and he labeled them from the quote unquote most effective and most empowering leadership styles to the least effective. So I won't go through all of them um, like in real depth, but I do want to highlight the, the best and the worst kind of, because I think that we will all kind of relate to what these look like. The first, the, the best one, the number one on the list of six leadership styles is called the charismatic or value-based style. And this stresses high standards, decisiveness and innovation it seeks to inspire people around a vision, creates a passion among them to perform and does so by firmly holding on to core values. This includes facets of visionary, inspirational, self-sacrificial, self integrity, decisive and performance oriented leadership. So this reminds me a lot, this and the next, the team oriented style remind me a lot of some of the things that we do at Spodak. And I know that you guys do at ADS. We are heavily, and deeply rooted in our vision and our core values. And that's what it goes back to for everyone constantly. So stressing high standards, having decisiveness and, and enabling innovation, like you have to have this, this really like well set up and designed culture and, and this firm foundation to be able to have those things. Because in, able to, in order to have high standards, you have to have specifically depicted what the standards are, what they look like, where they're coming from, you know, and they all stem from our core values and able to, in order to be as decisive as we possibly can be, like, this is where we're going next and have um, uh, unity and certainty about where we're going next, especially in the leadership. We've got to all understand where we're going, where we came from, what the, what the quote unquote rules are, what our agreements are as a team, you know, and, and understanding, and then to have innovation. Like, I think it's important, especially when we're talking about innovation, because it involves so much creativity and to different people, that means so many different things that there has to be like this, this uh, parameter, you know, this parameter to, to bounce ideas off of kind of, and we're each other's parameter at right. Spodak. Um, but innovation, it can be I think a tricky thing and a challenging thing for a lot of quote unquote bosses or business owners to allow innovation in their organization. But I think it becomes scary when there really aren't those right. parameters in place or they're not well thought out or they're not really organized or they've really underestimated the importance of important culture and values and vision, you know? So this, 
This doesn't surprise me reading about the charismatic value-based style being the most effective leadership style because it's just on a, on a firm foundation. There's been a lot of conversation and intentional planning about where, who we are kind of thing, you know, what our come from is. Um, some of the other most effective uh, leadership styles are called the team-oriented style. It instills pride, loyalty, and collaboration among, among organizational members. Highly values team cohesiveness and a common purpose or goals. Then you've got the participative style, which encourages input from others and decision-making and implementation and emphasizes delegation and equality. Delegation and equality are really important to me, but I think that these two fall under that first charismatic value-based style because they, they don't uh, depict as strongly the, the, the foundation, which goes back to the values. Right. You know, like I think, I think that these are kind of like the lower we get on this list, the more it's like the branches of leadership and, right. and away from the core or the trunk, right. you know, so as we go back to the core of the trunk, which is the values and the integrity and all the stuff that's, that's, the, that's foundational, that makes sense to me. So some of the some of the worst um, leadership styles, the the self protective one, and this just just the the name reminds me of ego, you know, self protective style that me mentality. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? And yeah. it it literally says uh, style emphasizes procedural, status conscious, and face saving behaviors. So instead of saying, "Hey, we're in trouble. I made a mistake. I think that we should pivot here." It is like, oh crap, I made a mistake. Let me hide this, pretend that I didn't, not show anyone and hope that it'll fix itself kind of thing. Or let me see if I can do it myself because I don't want to admit that I made a mistake. Like it's, it's face saving. And that's, that's a problem. You know, one, one saying that I know that some people hate, but I love is uh, save your ass, not your face. Like save the actual ship as it's going down. Don't just say like, no, we're fine. The ship's not going down as it's like you're treading water and you're like drowning because you don't want to admit that you went the wrong way, you know, right. So save your ass, not your face. Um, and then the worst leadership style is called the autonomous style, which includes only one facet concerned with autonomy. It's characterized by independent, individualistic, and self-centric approach to leadership. So clearly that's um, kind of like... That, that's when you're on the soccer field and it's the ball hog that won't pass it to anyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they, they can't make it down to the end to score the, the basket. That's kind of what that's about. Thanks for investing your time and energy into listening to Bulletproof Hygiene. Remember to click subscribe to join our community of dental professionals that embrace growth and collaboration to better yourself, your patients, and our profession. For more information on our 2021 Live Summit, Bulletproof Hygiene Book, and training opportunities, download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene. What's interesting to me is, you know, when you talked about kind of the, the top three styles, I feel like there's some really good positives from each one of those. And I almost kind of view it as like a, a braid or a cord, you know, where there's these different strands kind of braided together and it, and it all kind of implements together because I think there's um, a lot of aspects to leadership that are important. So I think it's really cool. You know, I almost want to lump those top three, like in, in, in one, because I think all there's a lot that's important there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they did score really, really closely. Um, I think that 6.1 was the highest score. And then the lowest score was 4.5. I'm not sure if this is out of 10 or where the scores came from. I know that I, I investigated it really like thoroughly and in depth about a year ago. Um, now I don't remember where the numbers come from, but, but the numbers, the ranges of like, the numeric score for leader effectiveness on all three of these is very, very similar. 
Got like it. the lowest one is 4.5 to 6.5. I'm sorry, that's the highest one. And the lowest one is 4.5 to 6.1. So they're all very close on the effectiveness scale. And it's funny that you say that because then four, five, and six are significantly and drastically different where they, they drop. There's like a, right. there is a plateau for a little while and then it just like falls off. Right. Yep. So I think that we can go into um, our three roles as leaders, as you mentioned before. So we're leaders to our patients, we're leaders to our profession and in the medical field, and then we're leaders to our own teams. So we've been talking about leadership to our own teams, but let's talk about for a second how we are our leaders in the profession as a whole. So I think that our GPs in our practice are definitely the quarterbacks, right? Like they have, they're they're running the show kind of thing. We run the show in a lot of ways. We're co-diagnosticians. We are doing a lot of the assessment, gathering a lot of information, connecting with the patients on an emotional level, um, getting to the bottom of a lot of their issues and kind of like handing that information to them where hopefully they can come in and bobblehead. But at the same time, they're ultimately responsible for referring you know, to specialists when necessary, coordinating big picture, restorative treatment, um, partnering with us to make sure that the right things are happening. But I think in the um, in our profession and in the medical profession, it's important to understand and remember what Dr. Michael Roizen said, uh, who is an anesthesiologist uh, at, at the Cleveland Clinic. And I know that you're really passionate about the book, The Shift. And that's where I learned about this book. Uh, he wrote in this book, and I know that he spoke when he was speaking at the at the Cleveland Clinic and doing a like a CE thing there, um, was talking about how the, um, the keynote for uh, AOSH there one year. Oh, keynote. Okay, AOSH. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, he was talking about how we're essentially the go-betweens for the entire medical profession. So, meaning that we see our patients for preventive services more often than their own general doctors, their primary care physicians. Um, people are coming into us usually, you know, on average every six months, every three to four months. Um, just for a check-in. So if we're not gathering baseline data on what's going on with the rest of their body, then we're not filling the huge shoes that we're wearing. We're not filling that gap adequately or appropriately. And he said, like, he was really the one who was like, hey, you guys, here's these enormous shoes, like, please fill it. Like, right. we need you to fill it. And it was a call to action. And it was like, dude, like, do you, do you understand where you are? Like, do you understand how pivotal your role is in all of this? And if we don't, then we're doing a huge disservice to our patients, but also we're, we're doing a huge disservice in regards to ourselves and our profession and dentistry. Like if we are not really showing up to work and actively checking and actively educating and actively having this relationship with our patients, it's, it's really not fair to them. Right. And so much of so much systemic, so many systemic issues um, you know, manifest orally. And so we are kind of the window looking in to see what's going on. And, you know, when, when, when we're understanding that our patients are having a hard time managing their A1C and we look in there and we see bleeding and inflammation, well, gosh, that's, that's not a big issue. I mean, not a big question as to what's going on here. Um, and if we're really going to lead in the right way, then sometimes that's reaching out to the medical community and, you know, just kind of sending a, a message over to their doctor and saying, Hey, just, just so you know, this is what we're seeing. This is what we're treating. This is what's going on. And it's kind of building that bridge. Um, I've spoken to many OBGYNs over the years of, you know, patients I have that are, that are pregnant and expecting, um, because we're seeing, you know, lots of bleeding and inflammation and, um, you know, we want to use some, some therapies and sec some techniques and I always get clearance for that. But I think there is a big bridge we can build between the medical community because, you know, oral ma manifestation is huge. Yeah. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think that, um, so I had an experience when I was getting my bachelor's degree where I had to do an externship and I chose to, well, it's, it's funny, let me back up and say this. So getting my bachelor's degree, it's bachelor's in dental hygiene, bachelor of applied science in dental hygiene. The entire curriculum was about interprofessional collaboration and how to, you know, collaborate effectively with um, other specialties outside of the dentistry realm. And so after, you know, two years of going through the importance of that and how to do it effectively, I pitched my quote unquote capstone project and I wanted to do an externship at a primary care physician's office. And they also do a lot of um, holistic medicine and um, like Eastern you know, Easternized medicine sort of stuff. And I thought that that would be really interesting to learn how to connect and communicate. Yeah. And so I pitched this idea and it's so funny. The initial feedback that I got from my instructor was like, did you even pay attention? Like, what do you mean you want to do this? This is about dentistry. It's not about like medicine and what, what did, did you read the instructions? And I emailed back and was like, yeah, interprofessional collaboration. Like what the heck? But it's just so funny after all of that, even my instructor, like the hygiene instructor was like, I'm missing, what are you talking about? You want to go to a PCP's office? And I was like, what, what, like, what, isn't this what it was all about? You know? So I ended up, so after I wrote the email back, like, Hey, this is my line of thinking. This is where this is coming from. This is based on all of these projects that we've done. Like, why wouldn't I want to go to a PCP? Why wouldn't I do something outside of a dental office or a dental hygiene school? Like you, this is the point, you know? And she, she was like, Oh, and, it, and was like, okay, you know, she, she allowed me to move forward, but it was just so funny how that's like the knee jerk thought and reaction of even people in our field, you know, it's like, yeah, we understand how important we are, but do we really right. kind of thing, you know? And then she had like kind of an aha moment and I, was, and I had an aha moment, like, oh, that's really where we are as an industry. Right. And um, unfortunately there still is a big gap there, um, between physicians and dentists. And, um, you know, I think in, in the line of us talking about leadership, that is somewhere we need to, to broaden our scope and really, um, you know, put our foot forward. And, you know, it, it's probably going to take a while before we're really able to close that gap, but it's definitely not going to happen if we're not moving forward, if we're not sending letters about what's going on, if we're not making phone calls. So that, that's something that we do need to be mindful of. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, I got to see from the other side. So when I was shadowing um, this doctor, Dr. Dudley, actually, um, he's brother-in-law of one of the doctors that I work with, Dr. Dudley, uh, and he was fantastic. And I got to see a lot of interesting cases and got to see a lot of things that I haven't seen firsthand and have conversations and see kind of like, quote unquote, the other side of things. You know, I know it, I've experienced as a patient at his office, but not as the provider. So it was an interesting perspective to have. And Uh, It really did enlighten me about, you know, patients said certain things that connected really heavily with dentistry and dental hygiene. And I think that he, like no fault to him, it's like, they don't learn this either. Neither of us learn in school how to connect the dots on all of these things. I think even as like a PCP and clearly has a lot more education than I do, you know, Um, but patients said a lot of things that I was like, huh, I could really help that patient with that problem. Or I wish that they would go to a dentist, you know, kind of. Right. Whether it was something like from a sore in their mouth to um, their diabetes being out of control. And, you know, people even mentioned, like, I haven't been in the dentist in years. I haven't been a doctor in years. This is the first time I'm coming back. And I really just wanted to be like, go to the dentist, you know. (laughs) Um, But it was interesting just seeing that perspective and how much information he could give if he were empowered to give that information or like had the information to give. So it was really interesting. I ended up giving a presentation for him and his team. And just talked about some basic things, uh, tooth decay and how that relates to general health 
and uh, periodontal disease, how that relates to general health and oral cancer and the prevalence of oral cancer, just like went through some, you know, photos and basic stats. And it was so interesting after that, like how I even saw a switch in him, which is really cool because he didn't have to change anything. He's been practicing for, I don't know, 20 years, you know, like he didn't have to change anything, but it was interesting as I kept shadowing him, he would ask people questions according to my presentation. And I think that it would be really helpful if we had like a physician's perspective in the same way, if they would come to a dental office for a day and be like, Hey, you should refer when you see this, or like, this is what I'm seeing that you could potentially play a part in kind of thing. Or, you know, I just thought it was really eye-opening and cool. It was interesting to learn about what doctors do and don't learn or what they do and don't focus on. And when they're learning about the entire body and everything that could possibly happen and go wrong, you know, the oral, oral stuff is like so minimal and nice. They've got to learn about everything else in the body, you know? So it was just really cool. He would start asking questions about when's the last time you've gone to a dentist and how long has this been hurting for? Or like, you know, your diabetes is out of control. It's been out of control for a while. Why don't you go see your hygienist kind of thing? And it it was just interesting to see kind of like some of the questions that he started asking and the ways that he kind of like tweaked his own verbiage and communication with the patients after my presentation. So I can only imagine if there's a lot more of that that went on between the professions. Right. Yeah. One day we can dream. Today. It could be today. So, um, you know, I think I want to talk about, obviously, if we're talking about leadership and how to be great leaders, I think I want to just kind of touch on some things that get us there, what, what we need to be focused on, um, you know, some necessary qualities to be a great leader. And I think first and foremost, and I know you and I both in, encompass this, is that growth mindset. Mm-hmm. It's getting out of that, that fixed concept of, well you know, this is how it is. This is how it's always going to be. I'm just going to drudge in and do my thing and go back home. And it's really sad to me that people are in that situation and feel that way because you think about how many hours we spend at work um, versus how many hours we're home with our loved ones that we're not sleeping. Mm-hmm. Um, and the work hours far outweigh the family time. So, you know, that's a, that's an uncomfortable, miserable place to be in. So I think it's the first thing you've got to do is kind of ask yourself, where am I in my mindset? Do I just feel like, well, that's it. That's, that's just how it's going to be. Or am I willing to kind of step out of that and think, you know, it might be uncomfortable right now, but what can I do that might change the situation? Yeah. Um, so I think it's, it's doing some, some kind of deep diving on your own mentality and what, what your thoughts are, um, and kind of opening, opening yourself up to that. And I know sometimes that feels a little risky because it's like, well, gosh, what if I go in and I try, you know, I try to be really positive and they shoot me down. Well, is that worse than the situation you're in right now? Right. And that's, a, and that's a guarantee also. It's like, oh, yeah, for it, sure. it's guaranteed that if we ask a question, we're going to be told, no, it's a guarantee that if we try something new, we're going to fail. Like it's a matter of, you know, where do I want to go? What am I willing to do to get there? And like, who can help me along the way? What do I have to do to, to reach that goal? You know? And I think that reverse engineering comes into play in a, in a big way when we're asking ourselves or trying to take on a challenging question. And honestly, the first thing that I ask when I'm reverse engineering is I go way, way, way far in the future. And I say, 
this is super deep. Sorry. I'm like taking it no, there. You're good. Um, when, if I'm like on my deathbed and like, I look back on my life, like, what do I want to have contributed to the world? And what do I want to have left behind? What legacy do I want to leave behind? And for me, it's probably different than it is for most people, because I don't, I don't think that I want to have children. So for most people, I think it's like, I had children, I passed on my legacy to them. And this is what I taught them and instilled in them. And for me, it's a little different because I'm like, what did I contribute that didn't have to do with like me having offspring and letting right. them carry the torch. Right. You know, like who else, who else's life that I change or contribute to? And so that's, I think my starting point for the most part. And then I take it to a less global thing and a more like immediate thing. Like, okay, by when do I want to accomplish this? What is this thing? What, what's the outcome that I want? And, you know, just like in any conversation, like with others, like what is my what's my come from and what's my intention for this? Like, is it about my ego and wanting, wanting people to know who I am and get recognition and get a pat on the back? Or is it really about me wanting to make a difference and leave something positive behind, like cause a positive change? And if I know for a fact that to my core, I really just wanna make a positive change and leave something behind for someone else or like make someone's life easier, better in some way, have, that's, that's the torch that I wanted to carry truly if I'm asking myself the question and being honest, then I can rightfully say, okay, then what am I willing to do to do that? Right. You know, right. and it becomes, it becomes a much more steadfast thing instead of just like the surface, like, oh, I want to add a perio protect and I don't really know why, you know, I just, Brittany and Teresa really believe in it. And so I'm just going to try and pitch this to my dentist kind of thing. Right. Um, if it's, if it's something that you're passionate about and, and speaks to your heart and your purpose, I think that it becomes a lot easier to overcome the obstacles and realize like, I don't really care if I fail, like, so what, like, right. so right. what, you know, like I failed five times and then I finally succeeded kind of thing. Right. Like, what's the big deal? Well, and I think what you said earlier is, is so big. And I think it's a big part of, if you're listening and you're like, you know what, I, I think I should take more of a role, more of a leadership role. I probably haven't been contributing as much as I, I should. The, I think it's so, so important to know what you said that we are going to face resistance. Mm -hmm. Knowing that ahead of time, I think it's important to wrap your head around that because when it happens, you're much less likely to be like, oh, this is uncomfortable, I'm out. It's yep. like, oh, there it is. I knew it was coming. I knew it was going to be there, but anything worth fighting, anything worth having is worth fighting for. Right. Yep. So knowing that this, the new, the different is going to be uncomfortable. So say you've been in that fixed mindset. Oh, this is how it is. It's not going to get any better. And you decide today, like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go in and I'm going to be more positive. I'm going to step into this leadership role yep. and know that you're going to have that pushback of your teammates going like, what's wrong with you? Why, why aren't you, you know, what, you know, where, you know, who gave you a happy pill? What's happening here? Um, people naturally don't like change. Mm -hmm. um, and so when any, anytime you're trying to implement something new, whether it's just a, a better attitude or a more positive attitude, um, you know, people are going to kind of butt up against that people for some reason, uh, struggle a little bit when they see people around them doing a little better. And, and so you got to expect that knowing that that's going to be kind of the, the first, uh, impression, I yeah. guess. Say. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really human nature. You know, if yes. I think of when I'm not thinking consciously, if I see someone who's doing quote unquote better, or they're doing quote unquote more than me, or they're quote unquote more successful, you know, um, my knee jerk reaction when I'm not actually thinking about it might be like, what the heck? Like I, it might, it might go down the, I'm not good enough or what's wrong with them, or it's not fair, or, or different, like, different things, like, why are they doing that, you know, kind of, um, like, it comes from a place of insecurity, or judgment, right. or knee-jerk, kind of just, 
just like human tendencies. But then yeah. if you actually think about it, it's like, huh, they're doing something great for the world. What, right. what can I do that's great for the world? Right. Because ultimately it's just a mirror of us. You know, what we're thinking and doing is, is about us. Right. It's about me. You know, what I'm thinking about that person is my problem, you know, yeah. and it's usually just, I feel uncomfortable because they're doing something that I want to do. Or like, I wish that I was helping the world in that way or making that sort of difference, right. you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's everyone's kind of, kind of automatic and yeah. knee-jerk response and that's okay. Uh, but it's just like change is an absolute. So is resistance, just like Sharisa yeah. just said. So expect some resistance. And then I think it's important just like anything else and, and a lot of other things that we've talked about to say, uh, it's not about me. So right. it doesn't go back to my self-worth. You know, if someone gives me pushback or questions me, that's, they have a right to do that. First of all, like they're, it's okay if they're not happy about this change, they can be they can be uncomfortable and unhappy. They have the right to feel those ways, you know, right. but it's, it's about them and it's not about me. So if I segregate my self-worth from, you know, whether or not people agree or approve or like what I'm doing or trying to implement or my leadership style, then I'm going to be a lot more successful, a lot more happy in the long run. Right. And, and it enables everyone to feel their feelings, overcome things um, without judgment and them to be more successful too. You know, if the second I see that someone feels uncomfortable in my presence, I try and make them feel comfortable, then I'm ungrowing them. I'm, I'm taking the opportunity away from them to grow and to look right. at themselves and say like, huh, why do I feel this way? Well, and I'm going to throw this out there. You know, I, we, we kind of are oscillating because we've got to think about this leadership between the opportunity we have within our practice walls and with our team, and then the opportunity we have with our patient care. So this gr growth mindset is really important for the patient care too, because I think a lot of times we slip into that fixed mindset of, oh, Mr. Jones is coming in today and he never wants x-rays and he's never going to let me take x-rays. So I guess we're not doing x-rays. Oh, that's going to be a battle. I think it's like catching yourself and, and going, wait a minute, no, 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 growth mindset. Like, I'm going to talk to Mr. Jones and really educate him today on why we need to do this. And I don't want to compromise his care and I don't want to compromise his health. And, you know, I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to take this challenge and see what I can do with it. So, you know, we've got to kind of think about it in both directions. Mm -hmm. And ask Mr. Jones quality questions. As yes. Well. Mr. Jones, we might not have gotten to the bottom of Mr. Jones's uh, hesitancy or his, uh, right. his barrier, right. you know, it right. might not be what we're thinking it is. Right. So that leads me to my second uh, necessary quality to be a great leader, and that's communication. Um, you know, being really clear, being direct, um, you know, talking about fact over feelings, um, you know, and, and that, again, we can talk about this from a team approach or a patient approach, but yeah, so if, if we're talking to Mr. Jones about taking x-rays, it's that communication of, what our standards are for him, because we are here to care for him and take care of him. And we can't see what's going on without those x-rays. And, you know, I have some patients that we've sat down and I've, I've educated and we've, you know, kind of created a compromise schedule, or maybe we do it every 18 months instead of every year, you know, if they don't have a high decay rate, I had a patient this week that came in and, you know, she was like, Oh, I, I don't want to do those x-rays. You know, I have a really bad gag reflex. And I said, well, how about you give me a try? Um, let me, you know, give it a try. And if it's not working, we'll stop. But I've been doing this a long time. I think we can make it work. Mm -hmm. And uh, she kind of went, yeah, I'm sure you can like real sarcastically. And, and we did it and it went great. And she said, I'm seeing only you from now on. Mm -hmm. um, so for her, it was just a comfort thing, but it's just, and I have some patients who we have dismissed from the practice because we just don't share the same 
ideology on their health and, and wellness, and we're not willing to compromise their care and what we're doing, our standards of care. So communication is a big thing, obviously, when we're talking about patients' treatment needs and, and educating on them on that. Um, communication is huge, huge, huge for everything that we're doing. Yep. But on, go ahead. No, no, no. What I was thinking about what you just said about that patient is that's another example of meeting uh, pushback and meeting right. um, discomfort and meeting um, like I'm seeing eye to eye kind of thing. You know, you met, uh, oh my God, like friction. You, you right. met, met some pushback, you know, and that's, that's an uncomfortable moment for you and an inflection moment for you in that scenario. Um, and you didn't just stop with like, oh, oh, she gags. I'm not going to, I'm not going to even broach this. I'm not even going to try. I'm not going to educate the person you kept going. And I think that this is the important thing is like, if all questions have been asked and all avenues have been explored and it's still not a fit, that's when, you know, it's not a fit. It's okay to have different values. It's okay to say, okay, the patient's, you know, not a, not a fit for the practice, but if all of the questions haven't been asked, all of the possible solutions haven't been explored, then that's not fair. And that's not right. You know, if so, if we stop and don't continue to push through at the first sign of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Sharice, and not pushback. Um, resistance. Resistance. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, with the first, at the first sign of resistance in any aspect. So going back to, you know, Sharice asking Dr. Bolden for a microscope, you know, like that was resistance and she investigated and asked questions and did the research and got to the solution, you know, so as long as we push through, ask, ask all the questions, you know, do as much as we can to find a solution. If it still doesn't work out, then fine, no problem. You know, that's okay. Then we have an answer. But if you don't investigate, then you don't have an answer and it's not fair to anyone involved. Right. So that's great communication, communicating until it, it's, it's, it's done, you know, like over communicating is the way to go. Under communicating is usually a shit show because in the absence of information, people fill in the blanks, right? right. Um, and we can't make assumptions. When we're making assumptions, we're doing everyone a disservice, we're doing us a disservice, we're limiting patients, we're limiting our practice. So we can't do that. So this involves, you know, your next, the next thing on our list is putting others first and seeing it from their perspective. So that's a part of communication is like putting on the empathy hat, seeing things from other people's perspectives. What could this mean from their situation and their scenario, asking questions and not inferring what they're afraid of or what they want or the outcome that they're expecting, you know, really, really put on the empathy hat and see it from their perspective and, and take it away from us and from you and me, you know, it's the detachment, you know, I can be right. empathetic without attaching myself to how that person's feeling and behaving, you know, it's not right. about me, it's right. about them. And I just want to connect with them as a human, you know, right. so if you can put them first, that'll help, that'll help to get to resolution. Right. And so I have a, a, just a really daily example for, for this kind of thing. So I have a new hygiene assistant. She's been with me for about four months and she's very young and she's very green, um, learning a lot. Um, and she, at the end of the day yesterday, she came in and she was kind of really frustrated and she was venting about, you know, she said, I'm just venting, um, about some frustration she had about sterilization piling up and feeling like, you know, another team member wasn't doing her part. And, uh, you know, the first thing I said to her was like, you know, you can, you can come in and tell me this, but it doesn't make the situation any better. Like, I don't really think it even makes you feel better. I can't fix this for you. You need to go and talk to her. Um, and if you need me to go with you, I can do that, but this is not the solution. You know, this isn't going to fix anything until you're willing to go fix it. You know, you're going to be stuck here and that's not fun, but 
So that's, you know, where I talk about communication is a thing. I feel like so many times we hold things in or we don't really talk about them with that person. And that just breaks that unity and it creates judgment. But the putting others first and seeing it from their perspective is really important because what she wasn't really thinking about is that other assistant was slammed. I mean, they had four rooms going at once and things were piling up. And so instead of like, it's easy to like walk into sterilization and see, you know, everything piled up and be like, oh my gosh, who's not doing their job. Instead of like taking a breath, thinking, like you said, it's those automatic thoughts, thinking for a second, wait a minute, we have a lot of patients here right now. Things are a little crazy. We will catch up with sterilization. We're not sleeping here at the end of the night. Like we'll get it done. But it's, we, I feel like we make so many automatic thoughts throughout the day about other team members and what their roles are and what they're doing. When in reality, each team member juggles so many balls Mm -hmm. that we've got to have a lot of grace when people drop the balls or if they're just busy doing something else. Like, I I just feel like we've got to put others first in that instead of like filtering everything through, through the me filter. Right. And and that goes into being a contributor and not a complainer. So what you did when you asked Bree, like, or when you asked her assistant, um, how, you know, did she go to that person, what the problem is, um, you know, do you need help resolving this sort of thing, um, is you, you switched her thinking, you know, you said, hey, like, you're thinking this is a personal kind of like attack, or this is, you know, where others are lacking kind of thing, but have you gone directly to that person, and that's a switch of, like, no, I haven't. And it's a switch from me wanting to quote unquote vent to um, wanting to find a solution, you know? So you challenged her to get solution oriented. And then she had to, because you weren't going to sit there and just listen to her vent. You know? Right. And I, and I actually even pointed at the schedule. I said, do you see like that at that time of day, do you see what was going on in the schedule and how busy they were? She's like, oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so you enabled her to be a contributor and not a complainer. And that's, that's helping to train others and giving them expectations of what they're going to get when they come to you in the future. Like if they truly want a solution, they're going to come to you. If they truly want to vent, they're not going to come to you. So the more that team members are like not contributing to that, just venting kind of atmosphere and that, that kind of just like negative talk without seeking a solution, the less that's going to happen and the more solutions we're going to find. Right. Um, And I think that, you know, being, and that, that goes much further than just, you know, the conversations we have with people, but being a contributor and not a complainer, you know, how many times does something happen in your day that you find yourself frustrated about? And then you just kind of move on instead of thinking, gosh, that frustrates me, but how could we do that different? What would be a better option for that? What would be a better solution for that? And I think that is, you know, that's a small thing, but it's a big thing in a leadership role. And, And I think for our teams, if we would all come at it that way, we would have a much more effective day and an effective, healthy team environment. If, if, if instead of complaining, I would just do what needed to happen. Right. Or talk about like, Hey, let's, let's create a solution for this. Right. And I know that that involves more work and that's what stops most people up. I think is it involves more work to go back and intentionally face that thought that you or I had, or someone else has, um, and try and find a solution. But the, the flip side of that is if I have a thought like that, like one, this person is, you know, lazy or they're not doing their job or they did something that negatively affected my day or two, this isn't working, but then I don't do something. What that leads to is frustration and resentment. And then you start to resent your job. And that's when people leave without having a conversation or leave without trying to find a solution, you know? So that's, that's a big problem. Um, Resentment can't 
it isn't sustainable. Like resentment is going to blow up in some way, you know, or implode in some way. Some people implode and they have like a, a breakdown or a meltdown and it's, it's about them. And it's a very emotional thing. If they've held on to all these thoughts and resentments and they haven't worked through it right. ever, um, or it'll be like an explosion. Like someone gets angry and it's an outburst and a lash out at other people and that sort of thing. But either, either thing is, is toxic and unhealthy and it could be easily resolved. And everyone could be a lot happier if we would do the work that it takes on a daily basis to question those things and get to the bottom of them and find a solution. Right. Problem. Right. Yeah. So this next one might sound a little odd, but I think it's a big deal is being authentic. And obviously, yes, I'm, I don't mean like, don't be fake to people, but I really mean, we talked earlier about the benefits of having different personalities and different strengths and weaknesses and different talents. Mm -hmm. So it's important to be who you are, um, the healthy version of who you are. Um, but it's also really important to be authentic. And I'll just give a, an example, like how many times have you had when, because again, we filter everything through the me filter, like you come in in the morning and you're, you're setting up sterilization and your coworker walks by and they don't say good morning to you. And you immediately think, oh gosh, what's like, what did I do? They don't like me. What's going on. This is going to be a bad day. You know, you, you have those automatic thoughts and in reality, that person may be like, has a migraine this morning. Maybe they didn't sleep well last night. Maybe they had a hard time getting the kids off to school in the morning, or, you know, they had a fight with their husband, whatever it is. I think there's that be authentic to, you don't have to obviously share your guts, but I think it's, it's kind of nice if we'll be honest with each other and be like, Hey, I didn't sleep well last night. I'm not my best self today. Mm -hmm. And then nobody's going to filter everything through the me filter of, Oh gosh, they don't like me. We just know, Hey, you're not in the best place. How can we support you? What can we do for you? Yeah. And, th and that goes back to, I think, over communicating, like when in doubt, over communicate, I right. think, you know, like, just say like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm not feeling well. I'm not at my best today. Really sorry. I don't mean to occur this way. You're right. I didn't right. mean to occur this way when I said that or whatever, you know, it's always better to, to follow up and circle back. If you have any like unresolved feeling about something. And I think that a lot of people, especially in our culture, think that that is like sensitive or needy or whatever. But I, I really just think that it's good communication, to be honest. I'd, I'd rather know than be left to wonder. You know, I, I'd rather know the answer than just like think, be able to think things. But being authentic to me means, um, you know, growing up, I didn't learn, like I didn't have a great sense of self. I, there wasn't a lot of room in my family to have uh, creativity, to have an opinion, to have... Um, uh, just to be myself, you know, being, being your authentic self was kind of like frowned upon and it was like a very interesting environment. So that's some, it's something that I had to learn to do. And so for me, I feel very strongly about being authentic with others and that natural, that natural gravitational pull that comes with that of like the people who are really your people will find their way into your life and stay. And the people who maybe aren't or don't have the same values will, will leave. And that's okay. You know, it's like that thing where and no one's for everyone, you know, if, if everyone likes you, then you're faking it at some point. Right. You know, when, right. when are you faking it? Are you faking it with these people or those people? Because they're clearly, you know, whatever, but, but being authentic, I think just means being appropriately honest. Uh, and at work, of course, it's not where we want to um, let all of the dirty laundry out and be like, Hey, this is all the drama that's going right. on in my life and why I'm here. You know, that's not what, what I mean by that. And that's not what you mean by that, but just being authentic is like, Hey, I'm a human. I'm having uh, this problem could you bear with me? Could you support me in this way today? Um, or, Hey, I really, I really messed this up. Would you help me to solve this problem? You know, and for, and for me, honestly, that's, that's a way too to help others flex their leadership muscles is to say, Hey, I'm the leader. 
I'm a leader in our practice. I'm the lead hygienist, like, and Teresa's the lead hygienist, but I messed up. Yep. Like I made a mistake here. Uh, I don't, or I don't know the answer. Do you know the answer? Could you help me come up with an answer? Other people feel really empowered. Um, and then they feel better about coming to us and, and, and talking to us about hard things and having open conversations because we just made ourselves vulnerable in an appropriate way and enabled them to help us solve our problem. And that takes a real, um, that takes real intention. And I think it's a risk and it can feel really uncomfortable, especially in leadership to do that. But for me, being authentic is probably the most important thing that, that I can do. And I think that that's why in my situation, I found that I want to stay at Spodak and, and why I've been at Spodak for the last seven years, because I can be my authentic self. I can be an innovator. I can think creatively. And when others are thinking creatively, I'm like, yes, please. Like, I don't care if you're new. I don't care if you've been here for 10 years. Like, I want to hear your ideas. If you have a system and a way of doing it better then great, you know, but I think when everyone can do that and just be themselves, that's when the team is, is at its best and the most powerful. So I feel really, really out of, out of all our points today, I feel like this is the most important one and, and speaks the most to me, to be honest with you. Yeah. So we've talked a lot already about enabling and empowering others. Um, and I think we talked a lot about that, like within the practice, but I want to make the point that that is what we're doing for our patients every day is we, you know, really serve more as like the leader guide for them to their own health and wellness. So we've got to enable them and empower them to help them own their own conditions so that they can make the best decisions for themselves. So I think, you know, that's obviously that's, that's our, definitely our leadership role towards the patient. Um, I think, and this goes hand in hand with that to be a good listener, you know, great leaders are good listeners and we listen to learn and not to speak. Um, you know, I know there's been times, I think we've all done this where you're listening to the other person talk and you're in your head, just creating your response back instead of really listening to what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And I think if we fall prey to that with our patients in the chair, sometimes we're going to miss the opportunity to really help them understand what's going on and embrace the the situation. I think we've got to listen to, you know, what are their fears? What are their, what's their barriers? What's holding them back? Um, so that we can help them work through that and, you know, show them the things that are going on, you know, really educate them. Right. Um, right. Because we're, we're all the time making judgments. Right. And we have to, that's a part of um, survival instinct as humans. Like we have to make judgments about, is this thing dangerous to me? Is this thing not, is this person going to injure me? Is it not? It's part of, you know, our subconscious way of thinking is to like, keep us alive, first of all, you know? So I think that we're constantly making judgments for that reason, but then it becomes a lot more superficial as well. Like we're making judgments constantly. And usually as a person starts saying something, they begin a sentence, we've already made a judgment about what they're going to say or what they're, what they're thinking or how they're feeling when in fact, we don't know until they tell us, you know, like, because the way that a person's acting or what they're thinking, it may seem obvious from our perspective and from our historic, you know, experiences and our uh, worldview and our belief system, but it's not from theirs. You know, right. so we don't know. And I don't know until we actually truly listen and ask quality questions and, and prompt the person to continue explaining and really sit there and try and soak in what they're saying. We don't know the answer. Right. You know, I think it's the, the one of the most detrimental things we can do as leaders is listen and assume that we know right. and act on our assumptions or respond according to our assumptions instead of actually just hearing the information. Because truth is like, I've had a lot of, um, of uh, uh, reality checks with 
our, our team, meaning like we've had a lot of check-ins, uncomfortable conversations, mediations between uh, team members who are having issues with each other. And if I walked into each of those scenarios thinking, oh, I've done this before. Oh, this, oh, this, this happened with so-and-so and, and so-and-so last year, like I'm sure it's going to be the same. Probably it's not going to be a very effective outcome or solution right. if, if I walk in with that attitude. But if we're all open to listening first. Yeah. I think that a lot of good can come of it. And again, it's people feel empowered to keep doing it. They'll, they'll keep bringing their problems to you or to the table if they feel heard. And if they feel like there is an actual solution, there, there can't be a solution if we don't understand the problem. Fully. Correct. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, I think we also need to be receptive and approachable. Um, and this goes back to what you were talking about, like being transparent with, you know, God, I make a lot of mistakes too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so if I'm receptive to criticism or, you know, somebody going, Hey, I don't think this looks right. Did you do this right? You know, if they know that I'm approachable, then they're going to come to me as a leader. And that's really, really important. Um, you know, same thing for patients, you know, you, you want your patients to feel like they can ask the questions and they can, you know, that you are going to take care of them, that you're going to, um, you know, respond appropriately. Um, you know, when, when a patient says no to, you know, the SRP that we're recommending and say, no, I just want a regular cleaning today. We don't like in our heads immediately, like be like, well, fine, I'm not going to take care of you that, you know, we want to be approachable and, and really let everyone around us know that they can come to us if they have issues. Mm -hmm. I think that's really, really important. Yeah. Um, I think being accountable is important that you're going to do what you say you're going to do and you're going to own those mistakes. Um, you know, we've all been around people who are kind of in denial and, um, you know, that's really uncomfortable and there's not, that's definitely a fixed mindset of, no, I didn't do that. Or I didn't say that, or, oh, well, I meant to do that, but it didn't work out. Um, and you know, again, there's that grace part where, yeah, sometimes you, your intentions are really good and you really want to make that happen and it just didn't work out and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we've got to give our, each other grace in this, but just being accountable is really, really important, especially within the medical field. Um, you know, we have a lot of standards that we have to uphold. We've got OSHA, you know, that we're following. We've got, you know, and especially in an era of COVID, really doing things the right way. We've got all these assessments that we're required to take. So being accountable to all of that is really important. And I think it's, it's again, those automatic thoughts where if somebody came and said, well, gosh, you know, I noticed you didn't period chart that patient and you like immediately get negative about it and, you know, and defensive about it instead of like, yeah, I know I was really tight for time and I did look, but I didn't have time to chart it. You know, like it's, it's just being accountable and approachable and, and doing what you say you're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, that, that can sometimes be an inflection point. And sometimes if it's just critical, I, I think that it's important to be, um, to use our judgment and to try and be as detached as possible whenever someone gives us feedback like that or questions us. Because I think sometimes I, what I, a question that I ask myself all the time is, is this a them issue or a me issue or potentially both? And I try and be as detached and objective as possible, even, even though it's impossible for us to be completely objective about our own situations, right? Because we're all in it. So it's always right. from a subjective, right. to some extent, uh, viewpoint. But I think it's just important to say, like, is this uh, maybe a, a personal attack from them? Is there any truth to what they're saying and really examine the situation? And if I'm having a hard time seeing objectively, I'll probably get someone else involved and say like, hey, like someone that I trust, uh, probably a mentor, 
uh, someone who's older and wiser than me and say, hey, this is, you know, so-and-so mentioned this. What do you see in this situation? Or this is what happened. Can you tell me honestly? And you know who those people are in your life. It's important to have people who will tell you like, yeah, you really actually messed up. You could have done a lot better. Or this is how you, where you should go maybe the next time. It's good to have those people um, to kind of bounce things off of and, and have as checks and balances as well. Um, that can help us to be accountable. But also I think it, it, what's important in this point is being accountable being a great leader is enabling others to stay accountable to their own word too. So there's, I don't think that it's never about blame. It's never right. about like you did something wrong and right. you're a bad person. It's not about shame and blame. It's about like, Hey, you made a commitment. I said that I would keep you accountable. So what, you know, where are you in this process? I noticed you did X instead of Y. Like what was your train of thought on this? You know, where do you want to take this in the future or next time and keeping others accountable? That's a part of being a great leader. And sometimes that's really uncomfortable. (laughs) And I think it's important to, if someone feels like, you know, um, uh, gives you some uh, pushback or some, um, uh, gosh, this word is just debating me today. Resistance. Thank you. Yes. Resistance. Um, if, if someone is resisting, I think that it's, um, it's a good inflection point for everyone. And it's great to tie it back to what the person actually shared before that they want. So if the person, you know, set a goal and you're their accountability partner at the beginning of the year or something, and you ask them, why do you want to achieve this? Like, what's your come from for this? What's going to come of it if you do achieve it? Like, how will that feel? How will that look? What difference will that make in people's lives? Sometimes when they're resistant, they might just be in an emotional state or it might've been a hard day. But I think it's important to say like, I remember you told me at the beginning um, that you really wanted to do this because you wanted to make a difference in people's lives. You wanted to make our profession better. And I can see that you're on your way to doing that. Like, I'm so thankful to be on this journey with you. I can see all the positive changes that you've made. Um, I think in this one uh, section or situation um, that you mentioned, I think that this could be different in some way, or I think you might be like slightly off track. What do you think? Like right. just according to what you said, like put it back on them kind of thing, because it's not about me. I don't, I don't want to show them that I'm smarter or better or right. I know the answer because most time I don't, and that's not the case. So like, I just want them to be successful and feel empowered because they've, they've reached the solution and they've been successful. Well, and I think it's important to always bring fact over feelings mm-hmm. um, because again, we, we tend to filter everything through how it makes us feel and you know what that automatic feeling is that comes with that instead of really looking at the facts of the situation. And I have a good example. So like I said, I'm, I've, I've had a new assistant for the last four months. And so anytime you have a new team member come, everything is new to them. Everything, yeah, everything, you know, they're the amount of things that they are learning and growing and absorbing all day is pretty mind boggling. And so, um, you know, when this, when she first came to me, one of the first things she said is I'm just scared. I don't want to, I don't want to mess anything up. And I was like, you're literally going to mess a thousand things up. Mm -hmm. And I'm totally okay with that because that means you're growing and you're learning. Mm -hmm. So I found that in the first couple of months, whenever she would do something incorrectly and I would need to go, you know, say, Hey, I don't think we did this right. You know, she would be like super defensive. And so one day we were sitting there at the computer and I I literally just put my hand on her arm and I was like, So here's the thing. Remember at the beginning when you said you didn't want to make a mistake and I said, you're going to make thousands. I was like, this is just one of those. I am not saying you're a bad person. I'm not saying you're doing a bad job. This is new. You don't know it. 
let me help you learn the right way because it's really important that we do everything. We have this whole system set up that if we do it right, it works really effectively. So this is not a personal attack on you. It's just, this didn't go right. Let me show you how to make it right. So that's just an example of how to, like if you can get somebody to, to put their defenses down, mm -hmm. um, then that's where you're really gonna communicate and win effectively. And I see that same thing with my patients too. Like if I have a, a patient that comes in, especially a new patient that's really anxious. Mm -hmm. um, I had one the other day who was physically shaking yeah. um, and just talking at the beginning and sitting in the chair. And I always at the beginning, just kind of put them to, you know, at ease by saying, Hey, I want you to know that while you are here, you are absolutely in control. If I'm saying or doing something that's not working for you, you put your hands up, we will figure out a different way. Like I am working for you. So you get to run the show. And I feel like anytime you can put somebody, you know, on the offense like that, like they get to control the situation, they get to, to own that. I think it, it takes a lot of those defenses down. And I think that's really important. Yeah, I agree with that hundred percent. And I think that one, uh, one point that I want to make now too is, you know, your assistant chose to uh, become vulnerable and become open to making mistakes and chose to make a change in that situation. But there are people um, who are, are not willing to do that, you know, and that's, that's their choice. So I think as right. leaders, sometimes we feel completely, completely responsible for someone's reaction or response or how they grow. But in reality, like leadership is about helping others take charge of their own life and their own outcomes and empowering them to be strong and, and stand on their own two feet kind of thing, you know? Right. Um, right. So at the end of the day, they do have a choice. So for me, I want to create a safe and structured environment for people to do their best work. And, you know, as long as I'm doing that and that's my come from, how a person reacts and responds is really up to them. You know, and this is when a, a coworker, just like patients sometimes see their way out of the practice, this is when a coworker may choose to see their way out of the practice. You know, I, I have had a very small number of um, team members who just were not willing to do self-evaluation, were not willing to segregate um, their self-worth from constructive feedback. You know, they weren't willing to do that no matter how many conversations we had or who they received the feedback from or how it was delivered. It was, it was a them problem. You know, so I think that it's really cool in that situation that your assistant was willing to pivot and make an adjustment and say, huh, oh, this is what she was talking about. Okay. And then she kind of became open to not being perfect and understanding that's not what it's about. You don't expect that from her. That might be a switch. That's no problem. That might be a switch for some people. Right. We're all coming from a different place. But at the end of the day, if she had said, oh, well, well, you're, you know, I don't want to do that or had chosen not to to look at the situation separately from her own value or self-worth, that would have been uh, a her thing. She would have made a decision for herself and that's okay. Like, that's how we learn, like, is this person, you know, a person that we want to keep or not keep? And, and for that person, like, do you want to stay or not or go, you know? And at Spodak, we have a 90 day trial hire period. And it's specifically for that reason, you know, it's, it's a trial hire because as, as great of a fit as things might look on paper and our values might look aligned and different things might look aligned, if you don't have that growth and um, that growth kind of mindset or the ability to look at things from a, from a non-personal perspective, then, then you could get stuck easily. Right, right. And I'll say just that conversation that we had now um, when I come and say, Hey, I don't think, I don't think this got done right. There's not that resistance anymore. It's like, Oh, what did I do? 
-hmm. And it's, it's a much easier working relationship. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you're exactly right. And that, that 90 days is a really great concept because yeah, you, that gives you 90 days gives you enough time to kind of see like, are we a good fit? Is this somebody who's willing to kind of be open and, and open to criticism? And, you know, I, I think that's, we do the same thing at Atlanta Dental Spa. So I think that's a smart thing. Right. Um, so I want to wrap this up and I know you just said it a minute ago, but I want to say it again, because I think it's really, really important. It's a good question for us to ask ourselves is, are we creating a safe and structured environment for people to do their best work, um, for patients to get the best care? And I think that's a question we need to ask ourselves. Am I, am I creating the safest environment with the best structure um, for my patients to get healthy and my team, team members to feel safe and supported and encouraged. So on that note, um, I hope all of you will, will kind of do some self-evaluation and take back to your teams, this amazing leader that you are absolutely created to be. And, uh, we'd love any input or feedback from you to know if you need any support or help on that front. Um, send us your strategies. What are you doing that's working for you? We, we love to learn and grow. Yep. And I want to remind everyone, you know, we've got tons of new content on leadership and many other topics coming your way um, live in Austin this coming July at our Bulletproof Summit. And it's going to be two full days of fresh um, information on all things hygiene. Truce and I are like ecstatic to see people's faces, to shake your hands, to give you hugs. So please yes. come see us there. Um, if you want to join us at our Bulletproof Summit and the hygiene portion of Bulletproof Summit, go to bulletproofsummit.com. You can get more information about ticket prices, um, early bird specials. Our, our early bird tickets are actually sold out at this point, um, but we, you know, there are other tickets available, lots and lots of great content coming your way, and we could not be more excited for uh, preparing for that and just really being a part of that this year. It's going to be an amazing event. Please don't miss it. We, we want to see you guys' faces there. Uh, and if you want to connect with us on a more personal level, please go to you know Mighty Network. That's the easiest way to touch base with us. It's an app you can download, Mighty Networks, uh, and search Bulletproof Hygiene, and you can please pick our brains. We'll pick your brains, and it'll be this amazing brain picking session that's, that's ongoing. Thank you yes. so much for joining us today. We can't wait to see you uh, at the summit or chat with you on our Mighty Network. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. We hope you've had as much fun as we have. Don't forget to click subscribe for a lot more where this came from. We appreciate your support and promise to keep the hygiene gems coming. Keep track of upcoming Bulletproof Hygiene events by visiting bulletproofhygiene.com or download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene to stay connected. We want to hear from you.